Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, which is what Christ preached was the Kingdom of God. He preached the Kingdom of God was at hand. It wasn't something that was coming in the distant future. It was actually at hand. You know, back in uh, the beginning, they, Jesus called the kingdom of God. And he says, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. And I'm going to appoint it to these other guys who are going to bear fruit. Because you guys are not bearing fruit. And he was talking to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees just happened to be the political power that, uh, you know, party that was in power at that particular time. Sadducees, they had a certain amount of influence. Even the Essenes had a certain amount of influence in uh, politics. Some Essenes were pretty much apolitical. They were a very charitable organization. They took care of the needy in their society through faith, hope, and charity. And that was that was critical. They had been around for hundreds of years. They weren't called the Essenes. They were called a lot of different things. They were called healers. But they had this particular philosophy of uh, not uh, forcing anybody to contribute to the welfare of anybody else. They voluntarily took care of one another. And this is kind of the basis of John the Baptist's uh, gospel, which was to repent, think differently, seek the kingdom of God rather than the kingdom of men, including the kingdom of Herod. Uh, because all the other governments at that particular time, at least in, in that particular area, the, if you go farther away, you'll find uh, other remnants of, of different systems. But the big ones, Rome and uh, Greece and uh, those uh, different city-states that had not yet been conquered by Rome, even uh, they were all forcing the people to contribute to the welfare of the needy. Polybius had talked about it 150 years before, saying that uh, people had become accustomed to live at the expense of others and depend for their livelihood on the property of others. And they had developed this appetite for benefits from these governments that exercise authority. And, of course, that leads to tyranny. The greatest destroyers of liberty are the granters of gifts, gratuities, and benefits. Those are the wages of unrighteousness because those benefits are based upon force, not upon love. Same word translated into love is also translated into charity. So it's not benefits based on charity, but upon force. And in order to force the contributions of your neighbor to provide the welfare of your society... You have to vest power in some sort of a political institution and that political institution is then corrupted by that power and you end up with despots and tyrants. Stalin, uh, Mao Zedong, Popat, these were all 
that principle, that covetous principle of desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor, at the based on the property of your neighbor, the labor of your neighbor, that you're providing these benefits by force. That's socialism. That's communism. That's contrary to what Jesus Christ taught. That should just be basic. Everybody understands that the Corbin of the Pharisees made the word of God to none effect. And the Corbin of the Pharisees had been set up, a system of Corbin had been set up by Herod and the Pharisees where you signed up and you had to pay in. And the money that they, the government had was used to take care of the needy of your society, the widows, the orphans, the elderly, who didn't have, uh, is basically a social security program, a welfare program. They already had a Corbin like that in Rome. Augustus had implemented it years and years, decades before, 25 years before Christ was even born. And, uh, they were, setting up free bread and circuses for the needy. At one point, half of Rome was on the government dole. Well, in the recent COVID uh, fiasco, epidemic, pandemic, whatever you want to call it, everybody, thousands and thousands and thousands of people were unemployed, but they could get this little government check, this dole check, this $1,250 or whatever it was, would be sent and directly deposited into their account because we had all gone to direct deposit those people who are still getting benefits from the government to get back your uh, refund check. And so people went to direct deposit and many people on Social Security get direct deposit. So you don't even... I remember when somebody tried to send me a low-income credit check one year when I was way back and I was a young man... And uh, they said all I had to do is fill out these forms and I could get this low-income credit. They would give me extra money that I didn't even pay in in taxes. And I thought, I just, it just seemed foreign to me. I couldn't do that. And so I never filled out the paper. Well, the next year, they filled it out for me. All I had to do was sign it and send it in. And I, I didn't do that. I I didn't want that extra money. Why? Where did they get it? It's not mine that had the... Because I wasn't making that much at that particular time. I was changing over to different jobs. I was trying to prove up some land. And I wasn't bringing in a lot of income. I was building a house. Uh, so I, I didn't have a lot of income for those couple of years. I had saved up my money. And starting my family and all that sort of stuff. We eventually got down pretty low, and but I had a regular job and was making money at the time. And so we we never we never even had credit cards. We we didn't operate on credit. We we did everything cash and paid for things as we went. But we lived pretty simply. But the next time they were going to, or I guess it might have been the same time, but I didn't fill out. And they just sent me the check. I didn't fill out anything. I didn't sign anything. They just sent me the low-income credit check. I never cashed it. I just I just put it in a drawer. I think it's down in a box somewhere. Along with, uh, they gave me a check once for jury duty. I wouldn't cash that either. 
It didn't seem right to do that. But that's what they were doing in Judea at the time of Jesus Christ. You signed up. They had done the same thing, like I said, in Rome. You signed up. You registered. And you could get these benefits. Well, some people didn't register. A lot of people didn't register. They didn't have the computer systems that we have today, the electronic uh, network. So, there was a lot of people. I remember somebody who was in uh, uh, Santo Domingo. And uh, they said that everybody had a Sessula card. They called it a Sessula card. And that was like your social security card. It had the same numbers and all that kind of stuff. And there's a reason for that. We've gone into the treaties and all that. But they estimate that 20 to 25% of the people in Santa Domingo do not even have a Sessula card. Because so many people live in the hills. They don't live in the cities. Now, the people in the cities, almost everybody has a Sessula card. But out in the country, a lot of people, you know, they don't do, they don't have one. But in America, almost everybody has a social security number. In most countries, uh, I've actually seen videos where they had some guys, they were literally in loincloths in the jungle. And there were guards, uh, there were you know military guards with the, these people. And some other people came up and they you could see the guards were asking them who they were and all this stuff. They pulled out an ID card out of their loincloth and showed it to them. Uh, because the, the, you have to have government ID to get anywhere. So things have changed a lot. But now, I was going to uh, start talking about Joel today. But uh, our, our morning radio broadcast was put aside because of an emergency. Somebody else was helping somebody. So we didn't have our technical guy. So we ended up putting on a recording. But let's just look at the early church and what was going on. Because I've been talking back and forth to people who they wanted to study the early church. And and uh, so they've been reading books, uh, you know, like Jones's William Jones's book, uh, published around 1883. And I, I've read it before, and I refreshed my memory. You can download it online. You know, uh, it's all about the early Christian church, Christian uh, persecution of the Christian church. I think is the name of it. But anyway, uh, the uh, the the people that they're they, they are quoting from the Bible. They are pointing out things like Constantine, the changes that took place when Constantine established his form of Christianity and uh, it stopped the persecution of a lot of the Christians. Now, to, to understand, uh, a lot of people think Christian early Christian church owned no property. Early Christian church owned lots of property. and it, But it didn't have any big buildings. It didn't have any cathedrals. It, it was mostly home churches but they had land that the church owned in common. Just like the Levites had land that they owned in common. And we've talked about this. We have whole articles that you can go look up about the Levites. Levites could not own land as a personal estate. They owned land in common. Everybody else in Israel 
owned land as a personal estate. That was the whole point of Jubilee, to return every man to his possession and every man to his family. No matter what kind of debt they had gotten into. You're supposed to do it like every seven years, but especially every 49 years. That's the year of Jubilee. You forgive all debts and start over again. But we don't see any recorded definitely year of Jubilee. I remember the Pope a few years back was saying this is the year of Jubilee. Well, that year has come and gone. And uh, the, these people are trying to figure out what the new church, uh, that the early church was all about and how it differs from what we have today. They were thinking that Satan's goal is eventually to make us all slaves and bind us up. And there's nothing we can do about it until Christ comes. Well, that's not really true either. Christ wanted us to be occupying until he comes. Yes, there was going to be a strong delusion. We have an article up on strong delusion. What is that strong delusion? Well, the strongest delusion really going around in Christianity today is that you're saved because you think a particular thought. You say you believe in Jesus, and so therefore you are automatically saved. That's not what Paul's saying. You can't say you believe in Jesus... And go and do the absolute opposite of what Jesus said to do. And be saved. Because then it's just saying, Lord, Lord. It's not what you do. Christ said it it is what you do and not what you say. He said that if you don't forgive your neighbor, your brother... Neither will my Father forgive you. Period. That's it. So, you have to forgive others. You have to repent. Think differently. You have to seek the kingdom of God. Might be a little harder than it used to be. You know, say 50 years ago. Or 100 years ago. But, that's still what you need to be doing. So, you have to forgive You have to care about others. You have to love your neighbor as yourself. You have to do this, take care of one another, without force. Without That's what John the Baptist, back to John the Baptist. Everybody else was using force. Rome was using force. The Greek city-states were using force. Uh, Corinth was starting to use force. Corinth, you know, about 45 years before Christ was born, Corinth was leveled to the ground. Everybody was just about killed. All the women and children were sold into slavery. So, yeah, there was no Corinth. The people that were in Corinth in the early church days were people that came from all over. They weren't originally Corinthians. They came from all over. Now, there might have been some Corinthians. Polybius was a Corinthian. And he survived the destruction of Corinth. But he was already a slave in Rome. And uh, he was this historian of historian. He's the one that said that people, having come become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others, were going to degenerate into perfect savages. That's what's happening in America today. We, FDR, said it's okay to live at the expense of others and depend for your livelihood on the property of others. And 
and he would gave you the opportunity of signing up for a system of social welfare, but you will have to pay in and the government will take your money. You have to pay in once you sign up. And because the system was operating in debt from the very beginning, it's always been in debt. It's never been solvent. Anybody tells you what well, would be solvent and they weren't taking money from it. They don't, they never read the Social Security Act. <laughs> People who say that have not read the Social Security Act. They don't understand, they haven't read the court cases surrounding Social Security right out of the box in 1960s and, and way back in the 1930s. Because the government was already bankrupt. That's what the Depression was already about. We owed more money than we had on deposit. We actually owed more money than we had assets to cover. We needed more assets. Social Security was those assets. You are that asset. You are a surety for the debt of the United States. Once everybody was signed up, they started loaning more money to the the Federal Reserve. Borrowing more money. They were never solvent. They were, the money they're giving you, yeah, they had money coming in and money going out. But the, the, there is no division of funds. There never was. There is no separate trust fund. There never was. That's not what the law says. And a newsman might tell you that. Somebody, you know, some bureaucrat might tell you that. But that's not what the law says. You have to look it up for yourself. Same thing with the people that were having the discussion about the early church and voting is what came up. Did you know that there's voting in the kingdom of God? Yeah, you can vote in the kingdom of God. Now, of course, if you choose to follow Jesus, that's your vote of confidence to follow Jesus. But actually, within the kingdom itself, you have a right to vote. But what what am I talking about? Every day is voting day in the kingdom of God. Okay, so how does the kingdom of God work? If this is going to be kind of an introduction. Christ commanded, only one time do you see that word commanded, where Christ commanded people. And he only commanded his disciples to require that the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. In ranks of tens, hundreds, and thousands. I mean, ten families get together, pick a minister. Ten of those ministers will get together and form a congregation of ten ministers. They will pick a minister. They will get together. Those, you know, third third chain up will pick, uh, get together with ten or nine other ministers like themselves. And they will pick a minister. And they just keep doing this. It's called the tens, hundreds, thousands. Moses did it. Moses actually did it before Jethro mentioned it. Jethro was saying, use that tens, hundreds, and thousands for your appeals courts. They were already organized thanks to uh, people already in Egypt. You can go back to the days of Nimrod. People were organizing in the tens, hundreds, and thousands in a network. During World War II, the French underground organized into the tens, hundreds, and thousands. It's one of the most common ways in which people organize because it 
it creates this network where you can send communications, you can send supplies, you can send food. Everybody's already organized into platoons. For emergency's sake, everybody has this network. The early Christian community did the same thing. But Jesus didn't appoint the kingdom to everybody. He only appointed the kingdom to his disciples. The disciples mean students. They were trained up students to be the ministers of his ecclesia. They, they were called out. He called them, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Well, I mean, they weren't all apostles, but, um, Andrew, uh, Peter, uh, they were, he was calling these people to come follow me. Do as I do. Now, Jesus had been rich, but he made himself poor. It says that right in the Bible. If you don't know where it says that, that's the way it says it in most all of the translations. And if you haven't heard that yet, your minister's not a very good minister. <laughs> because Jesus came from one of the wealthiest families in Judea. He was the highest son of David. He was the rightful heir to the throne of David. Somebody else drew this picture of a humble carpenter, you know, going around and, you know, planing wood and, you know, making little plows and stuff like that. That's not what it says in the text. This is one of the things I was telling the people going back and reading 1800 books. I'm going back and reading original Greek, original Hebrew, original Latin. How did the systems work at that time? Well, how did the Levites work? And this is why we're going to go through Joel. Now, we already went to Hosea. You can go to preparingyou.com and you can look up Hosea. And we have all the recordings for Hosea. We have side panels in all the text of Hosea. We have this for uh, Corinthians and for Romans. We have audios on those pages that explain what they were really talking about and how this related to the rest of the world. We have the actual court case of Christians being tried in North Africa for practicing an illegal religion, which was Christianity. Christianity was a private religion. That was legal. In Rome for many years, but then along came one of these emperors who suddenly said private religion is now illegal. You have to belong to one of the public religions. In other words, you have to get a social security number. Yeah, that's right. Social security is a religious program. See, if you go back 200 years... Religion is the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. Social security is a way in which you fulfill that duty to your fellow man. You pay in and take care of your fellow man through a welfare system run by the state. This is what the Pharisees were setting up with their Corbin and Herod. This is what FDR was setting up. It's what LBJ promoted in his war on poverty. You weren't supposed to go that way. That's using force to compel the sacrifices of the people. So, yes, Social Security is a religious program where the God of that program 
is the state. They decide who gets what. Did you know? You may have to keep, they can raise that, it's now at about 14 some percent of your income has to go into the Social Security Fund. Started out like just a couple percent and then your employer did a couple, uh, you know, one and a half percent or something like that. I think altogether it was like three percent. Small amount. But also, you didn't even have to pay income tax unless you made $10,000. You say, well, $10,000, that's not very much. You could buy three homes for $10,000 in 1933. I, actually, my folks bought a home with dishes in the cupboard and furniture, solid oak floors, stairs, two-story, in Omaha, Nebraska, for $3,500. They bought the whole house for $3,500. I think it was three bedroom. My two brothers, I was born there. Uh, my two brothers were already born. And my dad uh, was, uh, I think he was going to college at that particular time. It was after World War II. So they bought a home for $3,500. Electricity, plumbing, in the city, the whole thing. <laughs> so, but you... Wouldn't have to pay any income tax unless you made ten thousand dollars. That's three homes. Now a home like that would probably cost you, you know, two hundred fifty thousand dollars or maybe more. So you that would mean that you would have to make three quarters of a million dollars before you owed any income tax. But that isn't what's happening. It's the graduated income tax. This is what happens when you boil a frog. One degree at a time. <laughs> he doesn't even know. So there, the, these people were worried about the the systems of the world, you know, like the Clintons and I don't remember who all they were mentioning, are going to make them slaves. They already are slaves. You were a slave in Egypt if you had to pay 20%, one-fifth of your labor to the government. You were called a slave in Egypt. You had to pay it because you had a debt because you didn't have provisions and they helped you through the famine. And everybody, all the Egyptians went into the same system. They had to pay 20% into the government. I say all, but not the priests. All, they had to pay 20% into the government of their labor. Uh, when Mubarak was the head of Egypt, it was still 20% income tax. No more. That was it. Maximum. 20% income tax. And that's thousands and thousands of years after the Pharaoh. It was still the law. In America, it's not limited to 20% because Joseph didn't make your deal. You're already in bondage. You have the number to prove it. You have a number so that you can get benefits at the expense of your neighbor from men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. Christ said it was not to be that way with you. John the Baptist said you were to take care of one another through charity, you know, through free will offerings, which is what it says in the Old Testament. That's what the Levites were doing. See, if you go back, to, see, when we start doing uh, these other prophets... And, of course, we show it. We've already done lots of Samuel and all these other, you know, when they people wanted to have a king. They wanted to have a man who could exercise authority. And Samuel 8 tells you that, that 
but they will take and take and take and take and take and take. Now, what's happened now, we just had the election in, in, uh, in the United States. I didn't vote. I don't vote because I'm an ordained minister of the church. And the definition in 1883 is the church is a society. For she is named in sacred scriptures a kingdom, a city, in other words, a civil structure that is set on a mountain, etc. These symbols clearly imply that she is a society. Theologians also prove that she is external, visible, and indefectible. Secondly, the church is a perfect and independent society because a society is independent when it is not subject to the authority of any other society. Thirdly, it is distinct but not separate from the civil society. Now that was in that definition back in 1883. Now there's more to it. What some people, and of course there have been kings who've tried to do this, and there have been people who've gone to their death because they wouldn't do it. Like I said, we have the trial of people who were practicing private religion. They did not want to sign up at the government temples because the government temples forced the contributions of the people and provided benefits for the people, free bread and circuses and what have you. But they... They were forced offerings, and Christianity says no. Christ said no. You're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other, but call themselves benefactors, offer you benefits. It's not to be that way with you. Christ said that. So you tell me you believe in Christ, but you also believe in benefactors who exercise authority, and you want their benefits, their wages of unrighteousness. You're not a Christian. You have need of repentance. A Christian is somebody who follows Christ. He says, he doesn't just say, I believe in Christ. He actually follows Christ. So what a lot of people try to do is they try to say, Ecclesia est in statu. Now that's, um, Ecclesia est in statu is clearly Latin. It's saying Ecclesia is the church. That's what the word ecclesia in the Greek is translated into the word church. So when you see the word church, you're hearing the word ecclesia. And that word ecclesia means to called out. So is it the called out, est in statu, is under the state. That's what it means, est in statu. But they're saying no. In that definition I just read you, it says no, because it's an independent society. The church is an independent... It's not a member of the state. It's not under the state. It is separate from the state. We hear that all the time in American jurisprudence. The church is separate from the state. That's absolutely true. It is separate from the state. Most churches are not. There are corporations of the state. Did you know that if you incorporate your church... All other previous incorporations is null and void as if they never happened. I'm just quoting right out of the law. 
So if the church is, according to the legal definition, is founded and established by Jesus Christ, the church is the body of Christ, the corpus of Christ, the corporation of Christ. That's what the church is. But if you go get incorporated to the state, you've just nullified all other previous incorporation. You're no longer a corporation of Christ. You're no longer the corpus of Christ. In your dreams you might be, but in reality you're not. But anyway, in relationship to that ecclesia, the church is under the state. The the argument in uh, Saglia and other places, you can find it all over the place, comes up with the explanation. Because it is this independent body, independent society, ergo, ecclesia est status. Not est in statu, but est status. The church is a state. It's a government. It's a kingdom. I appoint unto you a kingdom. It is my pleasure to appoint unto the little flock a kingdom. People say, well, the Jews didn't accept Jesus. All the apostles were Jews. Those thousands and thousands who were getting baptized, and that's probably... 2,000 one day, 3,000 another day. Those were families, heads of families that were getting baptized. Same as, you know, the 5,000 who were supposed to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. It was 5,000 men and their families. They didn't say, you know, 20,000 people. They say 5,000 men. That's who they count. And their families. That's probably 20,000, maybe 25,000 people. How big the families are, I don't know. But the point is, when they said 2,000, 3,000, we're talking, you know, 20, 40,000 people became Christians and were cast out of the social welfare system running by the Pharisees through the temple. Anybody who got the baptism of Christ would be cast out. We see that in John. This was Christianity. Those people who were cast out organized themselves on Pentecost in the tens, hundreds, and thousands because Christ commanded that you do that and because common sense tells you there's no way they're going to run a social welfare system based on charity unless you organize in a network of the tens, hundreds, and thousands like the Levites before them, like many other countries all over the world and all throughout history but they don't teach you that. You know what they teach you now? I just heard just minutes before I came in to do the program. The governor of Washington, I can't remember what his name is or her name, is insisting now that sex education begins in kindergarten. <laughs> kindergarten. They're going to start sex education. Heck, an organ, if I may say heck, an organ, uh, they just legalize. You can now do meth on the street. You can snort coke on the street. I don't know if you can use a straw to do it because the straw still may be illegal. I don't know. But you can snort coke on the street. You can get into more trouble in Oregon playing basketball on the street or on the sidewalk then you can snorting coke or doing, you know, um, meth. You can get into more trouble playing basketball now because this just, this was his past. 
in the last election. 107 just passed, in which was a measure 107. That does away with, they, they said it's campaign reform, but we explained, because we actually read the documents. We actually read the, you know, what it actually says. And all you had to do is read it. And the people arguing against it didn't even see this. I, I can't believe how stupid they are. They were undoing Article 2, Section 22, and redoing Article 2, Section 8, so that you can't ever pass another Article 2, Section 22. You can't. And when they, the reason they did that is because 75 to 80% of all elected officials in Oregon were felons. That means they should have been arrested and taken away from, they have forfeited their office, they have forfeited their right to even run for office. The corruption is so blatant across the board. And Oregon has been going, uh, uh leftist every year. Why? Because they've had mail-in ballots. You didn't have to request them. They would just mail them to you. For a long time now. For years. As soon as they went that way, all the votes started going a particular way. Wasn't going that way before they did that. But as soon as they had mail-in ballots, all the votes, especially in certain counties, go a certain way. Why? Because of corruption. It doesn't matter who votes, it matters who counts the votes, and that's what they've been doing. So they, you know, we were just the forerunner of it, what they're doing now in the national election. And, you know, the, there's corruption everywhere. You know, that they, they take uh, thousands of votes that were supposed to go to Trump, and the computer glitch, they, they're now calling it a glitch, somehow or other, Attributed all those votes to Biden. So not only did he lose thousands, Biden gained thousands. This is in Michigan. Those same machines are being used all over the place. A guy videoing a guy who's opening envelopes and laying out the... He's not counting votes. He's just opening envelopes and laying out the ballots. And somebody else will pick them up and count the vote, uh, the ballots. Well, he opens up one and he looks at it, looks around, leans down, and starts to change right on the ballot. He takes out his pen and he starts writing on the ballot. <laughs> What's he doing? <laughs> I don't think he knew he was being filmed. But I'm sure he didn't know he was being filmed. Somebody else was just indicted for, was it, 143, voting 143 times. It's a social worker. In a convalescent home. And they were just... People... Because they're mailing these ballots to everybody. Not See, it used to be mail-in ballots. You had to request a mail-in ballot. And then, you know, it was sent to your address. Because you re formally requested that ballot. Then you send that ballot back. And they know that ballot was sent to you and it came back. I think that's somewhat questionable, but... That's not what they're doing with mail-in ballots. They're just mailing them out to all kinds of people. They know there were at least 3,000 in California that were mailed out to people who don't even live in California. And they came back. They voted. And they don't live in California. <laughs> so, 
that's 3,000 right there. And then with the computer glitches and the social workers and and finding whole boxes of ballots in dumpsters and stuff like that, I don't know where they're at. But like I said, in the kingdom of God, there's an election day every day. Because see, who, when you sit down in the tens, like Christ commanded, Christ commanded that we do this. You, ha- in order to make it the ranks of tens, hundreds, and thousands, you have to pick a minister who's going to gather with minister of nine other groups of ten. This is how the network works. Now that minister doesn't have any exercising authority because Christ said he's not to exercise authority one over the other. His job is to connect you with 90 other people or families in other congregations. And when they pick a minister, they will now connect you with thousands of other people through the tens, hundreds, and thousands through that network. It's not positions of authority over anybody because... We can't force the contributions of the people like the governments of the world. See, America, when it was founded, it was building schools all the time, but it wasn't done with tax dollars. It was done with free will offerings. Often the militia is the one who built the school. They also built roads. And the militia was a voluntary group of people that organized themselves often in the same pattern of tens, hundreds, and thousands. You don't know that history anymore because you don't have those history books. That's They don't want you to know about that. They want you to know about a central government where you elect one guy in a corrupt system and he appoints men over you from the top down. In a voluntary government, in a free government, you appoint your minister. Nobody else can do that. You sit down with the nine other families you choose to sit down with and you elect a minister to connect you, not to rule over you or to tell you what to believe or tell you what to do or who you can marry and who you can't marry. His job is to connect you with thousands of other Christians in a network that is following the ways of Christ. And the way of Christ is faith, hope, and charity. The way of the world is force, fear, and fealty. So how do you take care of the needy in your society? Because remember, the church is a society. Even in the legal definition, the church is a society. It's also a community. What makes it a community? A communion. What makes it a communion? You can give funds to anybody you want in your congregation. But the way the laws are set up in, in the world today, and also the way it often worked in in the early church, was you, your deacon, diaconus, minister of ten, that's really what a diaconus means, if you, you look at the origin of the words, it's from dechen, or uh, deacon, Uh, which is ten. He's a minister of ten. You can give him bread, grain, food, whatever. 
and he's in contact, he's ministering to nine other families, if anybody has a need, he can share that with them. He also knows nine other ministers who are ministering 90 other families. And one of those ministers could come to him and say, we have a family over here in our congregation that's starving. He can tell you the ten he serves and he can receive their contributions and send it over to this other minister. This is what Paul was doing. This is what Barnabas was doing. There was a dearth over here, over there, in Syria or Corinth or wherever. And he was bringing funds from other church networks to help out people when they needed help. Just like your body does. You know, when you start running more, blood goes down to your legs and to your lungs. And you start breathing more to get more oxygen down to your legs because you're running. If you're swimming, maybe a lot of blood is going to your arms. When you're resting, blood's going to go somewhere else. The body regulates that. And that's what the ministers do. They don't use force, but if you give your minister $100, he gets to decide how to spend it. That's not the way your common churches are today. They usually have a board. The board gives, you know, the board of elders, they call it. See, every congregation is composed of families. Ten families. You know how many... If you have ten families, you know how many elders you should have in that congregation? Ten. Because an elder was the head of a family. It's not an office of the church. That There were elders who were appointed, but they weren't appointed elders. They were heads of families who were appointed over certain tasks and jobs. Because, see, Christians had to take care of all their social welfare through faith, hope, and charity because all the world was doing it through force, fear, and fealty. You're already in bondage. You are merchandise. You are collateral for debt. You are in debt and you owe billions of trillions of dollars. That's where you are at today. Everybody in America, everybody in every other country, they're all in debt. They've all taken on the same unjust weights and measure systems. But if you repent, start thinking, well, wait a minute. I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. That love, that's the same word for charity. I'm supposed to care about my neighbor and take care of my neighbor with free will offerings. I'm a long ways away from that. So what do you do? You repent. You think differently. Think, I have to sit down on the tens, hundreds of thousands. I have to come together with other people with that same intent and start caring about one another. Well, I don't want to preach doom and gloom, but if the governor of <laughs> Washington wants to teach your first in kindergarten and your first graders sex education, you may want to do something different than sending them to public school. Sending your kids to public school, I can already guarantee we have an article up, Schools as Tools, that shows you they have altered, there's lots of other books you can get, Ten Penny, lots of different books will show you they have dumbed down your schools they have removed nobody understands 
what the Constitution, that's why I had to write a book on the Constitution. It's actually not really about the Constitution itself. It mentions the U.S. Constitution, but it's in constitutions in general. Because the Bible tells you what to put in a Constitution. If you're going to, if you're going to have a ruler who can exercise authority, you need to limit that authority, and that's what the Constitution is meant to do. The American Constitution tried to limit that authority. It also tried to create, you know, three branches of government to separate the powers in that government. But of the five things that the Bible tells you to put in the Constitution to limit the power of government, only one of those biblical requirements is in the U.S. Constitution. Only one of them. I can give you the historical evidence that they don't pay any attention to that particular one either. Just like nobody in Oregon was paying any attention to Article 2, Section 22. You're going to see corruption sweeping Oregon now. There's nothing to stop it. Because they've done away with the only tools you had to really do something about the corruption. That's gone. And, and there wasn't the will to do anything about it. And, and the reason why is the churches aren't doing what Christ said. Because they have no strength as a community. Because they have no community. A community is that you share that free bread that is provided for your society. That's communion. It's not just a crumb on your tongue. It's actually, you know, if, if you, your business gets shut down, who do you go to? Do you go to the men who exercise authority one over the other, the men who force the contributions of the people, or do you go to church? Well, we used to go to church for help. You don't have a church like that anymore. You have a church that's in the business of tickling ears, and that's a good business to be in if you want to make a lot of money. Tickling ears is a real popular way of taking care of people in their imagination. But if you want to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have to tell the people the truth. So I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I can guarantee you, even if Trump gets in, he's only going to get in for four years. And you, he didn't do anything to, I mean, he did whatever he did. And I don't want to pick on the guy. I pray for the guy all the time. And I'll probably pray for Biden if he gets in. But you know what I'm going to pray for mostly? I'm going to pray for you guys. Because you're the guys that are getting in trouble. I mean, Biden's not long for this world anyway. He's getting pretty old. Of course, I'm getting pretty old. I'm in better shape than he is. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, that may change. The reality is, as a people, America is in a lot of trouble. Because America has turned their back on Christ. Oh, they go to churches and they sing songs and all that stuff, but they're not doing what Christ said. So what we've done is we've put together preparingyou.com and hisholychurch.org and uh, we have hundreds of articles, uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of audios and uh, several books. You can free online. Everything you can get for free online. And uh, you can join the network. Go to the network links. Join the network. That'll it's based on geography. So, like somebody who has a small home group, just uh, well, actually, they were a member for a while, but they just contacted me the other day. 
just so happened we have a guy traveling through that same area. And uh, I believe they have already gotten in touch with each other. And, uh, and, and it's actually two brothers, two sets of brothers. Uh, although one is not really on board yet. He's still studying and looking at things, which is okay. Because really the only way you're going to see the gospel of the kingdom and understand it isn't just because we, we done all the homework and we present all the facts to you so that you can, you know, thousands and thousands of footnotes so you can look us up and find out where are we getting all this stuff. Somebody called me from Chicago uh, just a couple of days ago and he says, I've never heard any of these things before. And uh, he thought everything made such perfect sense. And, uh, and uh, but the fact is, is it does make perfect sense. Uh, nobody, nobody really has an argument against it. I mean, they have one behind my back, but they, to my face, because we've been doing our homework for a long time. God has been showing me, I mean, just last night, all of a sudden I realized a particular word in the, the prophet of Joel. I said, oh my gosh, I need to look that word up. That, uh, that word does not mean what I thought. It's the word joy. You'll see it a couple times in in the, that particular uh, book of Joel's, but it's not the same Hebrew word. It's, it's translated joy this way from one word, and over in the, another verse, a few verses away in verse sixteen, it's it's we see joy again, but it's a different word. And the first one it's with joy and gladness. Well, gladness isn't. Uh, the the word that they see we see translated into joy is almost as often translated into gladness. So why did the original <laughs> guy put this word joy and the word gladness, joy and gladness, when the word joy is commonly translated gladness and joy? It's because the word that they translated gladness doesn't really mean gladness has to do with the cycle of things. It's even defined as a circle. So what does that have to do with gladness? That's it's is it mistranslated? Nah yes and no. Lots of things are metaphor, you know, like there's five different Greek words that are translated in the single English word world. They mean quite a bit different things. If you don't know you may not recognize what the Bible is really trying to tell you. But if you have the Holy Spirit, you will recognize it. So, what I'm doing is the first prayer you see in the Bible, where in, in, in Jesus' ministry, where a guy comes and he says to Jesus that his son is possessed by a demon. And he he begs Jesus to help him. And Jesus says, do you believe? And the guy thinks and says, yes, Lord, I believe. But help me with my unbelief. <laughs> okay, well, wait a minute, do you believe or not? No, the fact is you can believe 
that you may need help with your unbelief. That's why I've written everything. If you don't believe, you will not get what I'm writing, what I'm talking about. If you do believe what I have written and give you freely is to help you with your unbelief. But you know what will help you even more with your unbelief? Become a doer of the word. Sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Start caring about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. If you want to escape from the forced offerings of the world, you have to start the free will offerings of righteousness. Yeah, you have to wean yourself off of the rewards of unrighteousness, the wages of unrighteousness. It's translated a couple different ways. But that's that's those gifts, gratuities, and benefits that are provided by men who exercise authority and force the contributions of the people and redistribute the wealth. That's where everybody's going. That's why tens of thousands, millions of Americans have been brainwashed into thinking that's a good thing. They will degenerate into perfect savages, and you've already seen it now in the riots. I've seen it for decades coming. But I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. But I've spent a lifetime putting these books together, these articles together, these audios together to show you the way. That's what Christianity was called, the way. If you're not following the way of Christ, you don't believe in Christ. If you're not doing the will of the Father, you're not the brethren of Christ. Join the network. Seek the kingdom. Start thinking differently. But the more you seek it, the more you will think differently. Because God and the Holy Spirit will awaken you. Until then, peace upon your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.